We here at Kirkland Life Church believe that God has called us to be healthy people in a healthy church. That we would be healthy in our minds, in our spirits, and in our bodies. Too often we focus on just one aspect of those three. But believing and understanding as scripture teaches us that we are more than just our spirit. We are more than just our mind and we are more than just our body. That all three working in concert together institute and create a healthy person. It's what we're endeavoring for. And this morning, we continue our series. Um, for those of you that were here on Wednesday night, I am so sorry that I lied to you. Um, we had a plan uh, for this Sunday, or for, for this morning, and it was not what's happening today. But we believe that the Spirit of God has control and has His way, and when we yield to Him, it usually works out better. So this morning... Um, Jill and I have, have decided that we are going to tag team preach this, this topic as it relates to parts of our healthy body. And so this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, and so glorify God in your bodies. And so this morning, we want to have a conversation with you as it relates to gender, as it relates to the role, the function of men and women, as the Word of God would describe it. And so, Jill, thanks for being with us this morning and being up here, and I'm going to let you take it away. All right. So, first of all, we believe that Scripture is God-breathed that it doesn't have any errors in it, that from the beginning to the end it agrees with itself. There's no part that you can pull out and it's different than the rest. And so as we look at the totality of scripture, as we look at what the Bible says about us as human beings, we're gonna see some really distinct things. The first thing that we wanna talk about is, is when gender is decided. Right after conception, uh, you can find out the gender of your baby. And it's amazing the technology that we have in ultrasounds. It's amazing the, the scientific research that now we can see so clearly and so quickly that uh, there's either a boy and a girl. And there's so many uh, examples of gender reveal parties <laughs> and how people get so excited about whether you cut open the cake and it's blue or, or pink or uh, they have balloons popping and you can see if it's a girl or a boy. We want to look at the biblical stance of gender and some common misconceptions and correct some errors that may have even creeped into the church. Yeah, because ultimately, right, one of our understandings as we've gone through this is we think that somewhere around 20 weeks is when a gender is assigned, right? We think that at 20 weeks, because that's what we can finally see in a sonogram, what gender a child is. But science has learned that at the moment of conception, the moment of conception, at the very, very beginning of this whole thing, is when gender is assigned, when gender is revealed, when gender is created, the chromosomes are exactly what they need to be and these two DNA parts that come together to create a human being, right at that moment, it is already decided if this will be a male or a female. So let's take a look in Genesis 1, 26 through 28 and read this very beginning part of scripture here. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them 
them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We look at Jeremiah 1.5 that says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So we see the origin part of, of, of God looking down at Adam and Eve, both of them. So we're going to back up to the them part for a few minutes first. Yeah looking at both of them and saying to, to Adam, you are created as my image bearer. You bear the image of God. And then looking also at Eve and saying the exact same thing. Eve, you bear the image of God. Every man in this place bears the image of God. Every woman in this place also bears that same image of God. And as he creates them, he assigns both of them, Adam and Eve, both of you, not Adam, you have dominion over the birds and the, the animals. Adam and Eve, man and woman, you have dominion over the things of the earth. And that's so powerful, and that may seem like a small little twist, but it's huge. I am an image bearer of my king, as is my husband, as is our daughter's as are our sons. There's no difference when God looks at me versus John as much as we are an image bearer. I bear a different part of God. John bears a different part of God, but I am wholly an image bearer of God. It's yeah. so vital that we know that in the depths of who we are. Yeah, verse 27 is so vitally important in Genesis chapter 1. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see, gender is not a, a, an accident. Gender is not a, an evolutionary process. Gender was something that was created by God. Like, we can stop right there, right? <laughs> Our gender is, a, is, is created by God, and right from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, that's the first demarcation that we see in human beings, that we had male and we had female. But that there, right from the very beginning, was a level of inclusion. There was a level of equality between the two of them. Male and female, he created them. And he said to them, in verse 28, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. That God's plan was not for man and woman, it was for man and woman. As it was created right from the beginning. And because of some bias, because of some uh, misinterpretation, we have taken this to mean something different. We have gone through scripture and we've gone through the word of God and we have created within our own selves this hierarchy between men and women that is not what God created. It was not his design. His design was for men and women, equality and inclusion. In Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. This is God speaking to Jeremiah, who was going to become an incredible prophet for the Lord. 
He was gonna be speaking as a mouthpiece for God and his conversation with Jeremiah is, Jeremiah, before you were even created in your mother's womb, I knew you. And so if it was true of Jeremiah, how much more true or just as true is it of us? That before you were created in your mother's womb, because we were all created in a mother's womb, right? So there's, we're all on an even playing field here now. As we were all created in our mother's womb, God knew us. God had a plan for us. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God has a plan for you. And so in, in, in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, David, in a divine inspirational moment, saw into the, the spiritual world what science has only just recently caught up to. <laughs> Isn't that funny? As much as, as the, the world would try to discredit the Bible, they constantly come back around and like, oh yeah, maybe, maybe the Bible was right. You know, the Bible said that the earth was round long before we believed it. Anyway, that's another story. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. David says, for you, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So if we recognize that science and the word of God would agree that in the womb, God determines our gender. And so if the concept of changing our gender later in life is to say that God made a mistake at some point along the process. We have to understand the imperative of this. If it was God that formed you, that intricately wove the DNA particles, the chromosomes, all of the cells and everything that created you at, the, at conception, if God's the one that brought that all together and at conception God created your gender, then to say, God, you made a mistake is to say that God is not sovereign. It's to say that God is not perfect, that somewhere along the, guy, the line, God made a mistake with me. It was not science. It was not happenstance. It was not an accident. You are who you are because God created you that way. Amen. My God does not make junk. Amen. He does not make mistakes. Mm -hmm. He does not make inferior people. He was willing to send his son to die for all people. And so there is no differentiation. When it comes to this, there is a balance and equality between the genders that is taught in Scripture. There's this whole concept, and, and, and you don't have to go very far into, into news reports, into to social media, into things that are going on right now, that there is a, a, a huge conversation being had about gender dysphoria. Well, I'm this way, but I feel like I'm something else. Let me encourage you with this. If I had a problem with my car, I am going to take my car to the one that created Amen. my car. Amen. If I have a problem with how my car is running, how it's operating, I'm going to go to the user manual of my car to figure out how to operate it correctly, and I'm going to go to the mechanic that put all of those pieces together. Mm -hmm. 
And so if you have, a, have an issue with who you are, mm-hmm. stop going to social media. Stop going to broken people who are just as broken as you. Go to the one that has the answers. Go to God with these conversations. Say, God, you created me this way. Why? We can't just go to other broken people and try to fix broken lives or broken understanding. We have to go to the user manual, the word of God, and we need to go to the one that created us. And the word of God teaches us that God created us in the womb, at conception, intricately woven together by God's will, by God's design. And so male and female, that's it. Anything else is a social, cultural construct to let people believe what they want to believe. And that is not what the word of God says. And like John said, the place to take that uncomfortability, if you're struggling with that, the place to take it is to God who can handle it. He's Mm -hmm. not afraid of that conversation. He's not afraid to help you work through that. And so if that's where you're feeling or that's where you're struggling, go to God and tell him and let him bring godly people into your life. There's something beautiful about godly counsel, more so than the counsel of this world, because the counsel of this world is not going to lead you closer to God. Mm If you go where everybody else is going, you're going to end up where they all are. I, don't want, I want to be counterculture. I want to be biblically based. So I run to the Father. I yeah. run to the Bible, and he's big enough for these conversations. Not only is he big enough for our conversations, he's big enough to heal our hearts and to help transform our minds to be more like Christ. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just a Band-Aid over this, this thing, but it's a transformation of who we are to be more like Jesus. And that's the power of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Not just a band-aid over it that you're, that you're uh, not going to really heal, but God will heal our very hearts. We're going to move into talking a little bit here about gender roles. So now that we see that we are on purpose, I am a woman on purpose. God didn't make a mistake when he made me a woman. God didn't make a mistake in making John a man. So now how in our bodies, if we're thinking about how healthy bodies, how do I relate to my brothers in Christ. How do my brothers in Christ relate to me? Right from the very beginning, we, we need to recognize that scripture teaches that there is a balance and equality between genders. That's what's taught in scripture. And hopefully, if we do our jobs correctly, then that's what we're gonna get to today because there is a balance in scripture where people today would say, oh, well, the Bible says that wives need to submit to their husbands and that there's the men and then there's the women and that they're slaves and it, there is a biblical perspective to all of this that we're going to try to unpack this Well, morning. let's look at that right there in Genesis 2.18. This is really the beginning of where it comes from. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. That's you. That's no, me. No, that's you. I'm, you're, yes. You're the helper. I was the saying it wasn't good for you to be yeah. alone. It's not good for me to be alone, so he's going to so make, make a, a helper, helper suitable. So let's begin to talk about that word, helper. Let's talk about that word helper. I'm going to stand up. Um, the, word, the word in the Bible for helper is azar. This is a powerful word. So the word helper, azar. The only other places that that word helper is used in this totality of scripture, the only other definition is when it's describing God as our helper. Oops. We've been taught a lot of theology that's different than that. 
God is my helper. But that doesn't mean that I'm above God and I ask him to come help me as a servant. God is my helper, my source of strength. I go to him and he is my helper. So the helper that I am to John is not standing behind him saying, honey, can I help you? Woman of valor, come and stand alongside your husband as an image bearer of God, as a praying woman who gets on her knees before God that can come to her husband and stand alongside and help. It's a different form of help than we ever thought. Yeah, because a lot of people take this Genesis 2.18 verse and they say, I will make a helper fit for him, that somehow that word helper is a subservient role that somehow that word helper is something that's meant something that the word of God did not intend. To say that here's the man and the woman is just there to help the husband achieve what he needs to achieve, to do what he's called to do. That same word is talked about in God in, in, in Psalm 3320. Psalm 3320, which says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our azar. He is our helper and our shield. The word translated help means azar. Uh, the same as the, as the woman in Genesis 2.18. In a concordance, to look up the word help in this, this context, it means to surround, protect, or aid. Does that sound less than inferior? Of course not. But we're going to look deeper into scripture how as a helper, you're also a servant. And where there is a balance in this. In the New Testament, both men and women are called to be transformed and become like Jesus. Not just men to become like Jesus, but women. We are called to live a life worthy of the calling which we have received, which is to live like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, and we, A-L-L, it's not and we men, it's and we all, with unveiled faces. The unveiled faces is talking about when Moses came uh, to God, he was able to look to him face to face. And this is saying that I, as a woman, look to God, my, I, who, whom I bear the image of, I look to him face to face. I don't look to my husband to look to God for me. On the cross, Jesus ended that. Mm -hmm. I don't have someone who goes between me and God. I go straight to the Father as an image bearer of him. And so it says we all, with unveiled faces, go right to God, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. And all followers of Jesus are given his Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts regardless of gender. There are not certain spiritual gifts or, or certain uh, things that God gives only to men or only to women. There are not assignments or, or lines drawn down in, in scripture where it says only women can do this and only men can do this. And we'll get a little bit more into that. Yeah. Yeah, we, we have this mindset in our culture that that word helper, it, it doesn't mean what we think it means. If I'm going to help somebody do something, I either have to have more knowledge or have some level of equality with them. I'm not going to ask somebody to help me fix my car that doesn't know, how, doesn't know anything about cars. I'm not going to ask somebody to come help me lift something that's weaker than I am. I'm going to go to somebody that's stronger than I am. The, the role of a helper is one of empowerment. The role of a helper is not a, a subservient role. It's one that God willingly takes upon himself. 
and says, I'm going to help you. That doesn't put God underneath us because he's a helper. It puts him alongside us and above us. And so when God in Genesis chapter 2 says, I will make a helper suitable for him, he was not saying man and helper. He was saying man and helper. This surrounding, protecting, aiding entity that we knew to be Eve. And that verse in 2 Corinthians 3 is so important. We all, this is not, in a, this is not gender indicative. It's not all with a masculine uh, uh, hint to it. It's not all with, 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 uh, you know, with just a feminine tint to it. When it says all, you know what it means? It means all. It means every person. That means every race. That means every economic status. That means every person, young and old. And it means men and it means women. We all are being transformed into not different images, We are all being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. There is an equality when it comes to Christ. There is a common denominator. There is a a balancing force that comes as a result of the cross. We read in places like Acts chapter 2 verses 17 through 18 as the power of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples, where the Holy Spirit came to empower the church to do what God has called them to do. And Peter, he stands up and he starts giving this message. He's saying, guys, this is something that we knew was coming. This was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And he says, and today it's being fulfilled. So saying that this scripture came to pass that day and now is for, for the rest of our time here on earth. Yeah, and in verse 17, and in the last days it shall be, and they believed that that was right where they were, but also how much more are we in the last days than they were? In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on male flesh. No, it doesn't say that. That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Can we pause there for a second? Do you know what the word prophesy means? It doesn't mean fortune teller. It doesn't mean tell you things that are going to happen. The word prophesy, when you see it in scripture, is somebody that is a mouthpiece for God. Somebody that proclaims the goodness of God. Somebody that speaks for the Lord. Somebody that has the Holy Spirit of the living God in them that when they speak, they can speak with the authority of the God that is in them. Because of the Holy Spirit, that your sons and daughters will prophesy. The office of the pastor, the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, that is not gender specific. And the more we look in scripture, and that's why I said at the beginning, the totality of scripture is so important because we begin to, to pull out certain verses and say, oh, well, well, I'm going to hang my hat on this one verse. And uh, many times we look at some of those tricky verses that Paul said, but we also have to look at all that Paul said. And Paul calls out a female apostle. Paul calls out a female preacher. Paul calls out women, woman after woman that worked alongside of him proclaiming the gospel. And so we have to look at what does God say in the totality of scripture about women. And this verse in Acts destroys not just gender, but economic status. Mm -hmm. That the office of the pastor, the prophet, the evangelist is not for the rich. Could you imagine if we made that a thing? 
It's also not for uh, white Americans. Could you imagine if we made that a thing? It's for everyone. This, this verse is inclusion for people, and it's not specific even to age. Mm-hmm. God's spirit can be poured out on our kids in powerful ways. Our kids can proclaim the gospel. That's right. Our kids can prophesy. Our kids can be evangelists. Our teenagers are young and are old. And so this verse just hits all of those areas. And I don't think that it's a mistake that he calls them each out. Yeah. The reason they're called out is because we tend to like to take things and make them the way we want. So he calls them out. And we'll read it one more time. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Praise God. (laughs) The word they, they will prophesy. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, makes it even more clear. Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all, there's that word again, you are all one in Christ. We don't take a verse like this and say, well, God's chosen people are the Jews. That may have been true in the Old Testament, But what Galatians declares here and what Jesus declared on the cross, he says, there's no longer that. I am dying for all people. And so there's no longer Jew and Greek or Gentile. Basically anybody that wasn't Jewish. He said, there's oneness in Christ for the Jew and for the Greek. Whether you grew up as a descendant of somebody from Israel or somebody else. Anybody else. And so we won't make a differentiation between those two, right? And this is so way ahead of their time. Yeah. And, and sometimes people in the world will come to you and say, oh, well, I can't, literally we had a, a very close person who has come to us and said, I can't be a Christian because of how they treat women. And you have to look at what Jesus, how did Jesus treat women? He elevated them beyond what they ever were in society at that point. He was ahead of the times as far as that goes. He was Not even in the times. He was living biblically. He was biblically raising up the status of women. And so when we look at these, the church may be in error in some some ways of of then deciding that there were levels based on... Can I stop you there? Yeah. The, The church is not... The church may be in error. The church has been in error. Okay, I got one. My mom. The church has been in error as it relates to this issue. Women, on behalf of the church, I am sorry for how our history has treated you. It is flat out unbiblical. And on behalf of every man that said that you couldn't do it because you were a woman or that somehow you were less than because you were a woman and that you just need to get in the kitchen, make me a sandwich and shut up. On behalf of those idiots, I'm sorry. Because that is not what the word of God says. There is no Jew, there is no Greek. There is no slave, there is no free. There is no male, there is no female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. This verse evens the playing field. Now here's the important thing. What this is not saying is that there's no longer male and female, that there's just one gender. (laughs) 
We still have male and female. But there's a oneness in there. We still have Jewish people and we still have Gentile people. But there is oneness there. They're still slave and they're still free. There are still this, this, this difference. And what it's not saying is that those things are abolished and that they're no more. It's just that within those things, within those differences, there is equality. And in striving for that equality, we don't raise one ahead of the other. In striving for this equality, I don't then raise myself over my husband. Yeah, there, there's a, a um, there has been an, well, we're not holding any punches anymore. Um, there has been an agenda that in order for us to take this, this different playing field of men and women, instead of raising women as we should, instead of that, there has been a tearing down of men to try to find equality at the lowest common denominator. This has been going on for a very long time. All you have to do is watch any sitcom over the last 40 years, and you see the man is this fat, bumbling oaf. I call it the Homer Simpson effect. Where we see on television these men that are been dragged down, teared down. Men are just stupid. They're lazy. They just want their beer. They want to just sit there. <laughs> and we've created men into Neanderthals in the hopes that that will bring them down enough that there will be equality for women. That is not how this should work, church. What we need to do is have men that have come alongside our Christian sisters and, our, and women and elevate them to the same level of dignity and respect and, and stop tearing each other down and find an equality for both of us at the highest common denominator, not the lowest. And that's what God calls us to. Yeah. The world would call us to a feminist movement, and that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches equality between men and women, and we're not after what's popular today. We're after what the Word of God says. So this is not a new thing. This is not a thing that came out of the 60s. This is not just a women's right rally this is following what the Bible has instructed for thousands of years. And it's opening our eyes and our hearts to God. What would you have for your daughters in this time? And again, that idea that, that media would put off of to lower men, we have to be so vigilant that that does not happen in the church. <laughs> One of the ways that we see this played out most dramatically is in marriages. Yeah. And, and some of the verses that talk about marriage and so we want to address some of those today. And if you'll turn to Ephesians 5, through 24. So we're going to talk about marriage and singleness, but let's first just dive right in here to marriage. And we're going to look starting in Ephesians 5.22, but I want to give you a hint. If you have your Bible in front of you, look at 5.21. 5.22 says, <laughs> Wives, submit to your own husbands as, the Lord, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so we've stopped there, and we've taken that verse. See? Yep, there it is. That's where it is. Women, submit to your husbands as Christ is the head of the church. He's in charge of you. He's got the pants on. Wait a minute, what? Let's go back and look. Do we have to read the rest of this? 
Because we like to stop there and say, yep, nope, this is how it is. It says it in the Bible. This is the issue with taking things out of context and not reading the whole paragraph and just nitpicking and cherry-picking the verses that we want to say what we want to say. Uh, so let's, let's dive into Christ being the head of the church. How was Christ the head of the church? Did Christ ever stand over the church and point their finger or elevate himself? No, in, in Philippians, it talks about how he instead laid his life down. Although he could elevate himself above, he laid his life down. Ben, can you pull that verse up? Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. We sang this morning, I will build my life upon your love. The, to love like Christ wasn't dependent on what he could get out of it, but on what he could give. So he loved the church so deeply, not because he thought, if I love the church, I will get this back or I deserve this back. He loved, he laid himself down and loved the church. And so what this is saying is for husbands to love their wives where they're not expecting anything back from them. It's not a, a quid pro quo. If you, do, if you do this, then I'll do that. And if you love me, then I'll do this. And back and forth, back and forth. It's that Christ literally built his whole thing on love. Read verse 25. 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is not lording it over. That is not being in charge. That is not, woman, do what I say. This is the mindset that men ought to have in their relationship to women. Philippians chapter two, we'll start in verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse six, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." This is the mindset that when God says, men love your wives as Christ loved the church, what Jesus Christ did is he laid down his rights, he laid down his prerogatives, he laid down his wants and desires, and he said, I'm gonna empty myself of everything for my love for you. That's how we are to love our spouses. And wives, if you have a husband that does that, that puts your wants, your needs, your desires above their own, that is willing to take the role of a servant, that is willing to empty themselves of their own rights, to lay aside their wants and their desires, to elevate you, then the verse in, in Ephesians 5.24 becomes so much more palatable. Wives, submit to your husbands. It's easy to submit to a guy that is following Jesus Christ and laying down their lives and following that same role, following that model. And men, if we do what we are supposed to do to love our wives as Christ loved the church, then this would have been a non-issue decades ago. But men have slunk back from their responsibilities to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. 
We need to be in a place where we are ready, willing, and able to do anything that we can to elevate, to support, to love, and to nurture our wives. I think it's really important to address here. Just imagine, imagine, just this hard to imagine, but imagine there's a husband out there that does not love his wife the way that he should. Mm -hmm. What then? We follow the example of scripture that says that we love, and your husband is not your enemy, or your wife is not your enemy, but love your enemies. Do good to those that hurt you. And so there's this place where even if your husband isn't perfect, he isn't Christ-like, he isn't loving you or elevating you, you love him. You serve him. I've shared this story before, and I'll share it forever. There was one time where John and I were really struggling with fighting, and we were just really at each other. And I was, I was uh, up in, uh, in another room of the house, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, and we were just at each other, and the, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, go get his slippers, take off his shoes, and put on his slippers. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> but as I let the Holy Spirit soften me, I went and took off his shoes and put on his slippers, and we both had tears in our eyes. Because I love you, even if we struggle. or even So I think that, that that is that place where we serve each other, where we, whether things are perfect or not perfect, that doesn't, doesn't uh, excuse me from yeah. not living a godly life or being a godly example. Because Christ is our example, right? And Jesus Christ, when he washed his disciples' feet, that was all of the disciples, even Judas, who he knew was going to betray him, who knew how rotten and vile he was. I have a close friend who uh, called me once, and she was telling me about the problems she was having with her husband. And uh, he this, and he this, and he this. And then um, she said, but then the Lord spoke to me. This is my friend speaking. She said, that, and the Lord said to me, didn't I raise you better than this? Speaking to her, saying that, that the Lord had discipled mm. her. The Lord had raised her, image bearer of God. Didn't God, God said to her, didn't I raise you better than this? You don't have to retaliate. You don't have to keep a record of his wrongs. You can go and love him anyway, even though it feels rotten. That's Christianity. Mm -hmm. When it doesn't feel good, you still love. When the world, the media, everybody else would say, forget it. God says still love. Mm. There's a balance and a cycle that we see in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. It says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Isn't that an imperative in life in general to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as yourself? You've heard it said before, your first neighbor is the person you wake up with. Mm -hmm. The person that's lying in the bed next to you, that's your first neighbor. Mm -hmm. And to love them as we love ourselves. That's the imperative in, in verse 33. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's a symbiotic, cyclical relationship that if the husband loves his wife, she will respond with respect. And when a husband feels respected, he will respond with more love. And it is an energizing cycle as created by God. And so when we honor God in that way, men and women are elevated, empowered, and excited to live life as God has called us to. Here's the thing that I really, really hope that we take away from this and grasp. And that is that I have a relationship with God that is my own. Mm -hmm. One day I will stand before God by myself. 
I won't have my husband in line before or in front of me. I won't have my kids. I will stand before Jesus Christ and give an account for what I did with my life. So also, I have a responsibility to be 100% submitted to God. So does John. And so in your singleness, if you're a single person, you are 100% whole. You're not waiting or looking for the other person to be everything that you're not. In John and I's relationship and in many relationships, I'm not everything he isn't, and he isn't everything that I'm not. It's not, I'm not here to make up for all the things he can't do, yeah. and he's not here to make up for all the things I can't do. I am 100% a whole person. Right. John is 100% a whole person. And we've chosen to covenant ourselves together to come alongside each other and be married until death do us part, that we're going to partner in, in two, a, a court of three is not easily broken. So we're binding ourselves together to do more for the kingdom than we ever could apart. Okay. But I am just like I was referring to my friend who said, you know, didn't I raise you better than this? You're having issues. Go to God yourself. Everything is not dependent on him. Everything he does is not dependent on I. And that's where we get really messed up because we feel like I can't do this because my wife won't let me. Mm -hmm. I can't do this because my husband. Go to God. 100% find yourself in the presence of God yourself. You are a, an image bearer of God. You are a daughter or son of God. Make sure your relationship with God is solid. We, we read in like the end of Genesis chapter 2 where it says the two become one flesh recognize that it says the two become one flesh, not the point five and point five become one flesh. Yeah. Well, you're not half a person if you're not married. You need to be a whole person, healthy, mind, body, and spirit, complete in who you are in your identity in Christ, fearfully and wonderfully made. And when a man as a whole person and a woman as a whole person join together, the two become one flesh. And they are an image yeah. of Christ in the yeah. church. They are an image of what God is instituting between the two. And so don't think that marriage is gonna solve all of your inadequacies and all of your problems. A lot of times it exacerbates it. Yeah. Because in those relationships, they have a way of stirring the pot. And when you stir the pot, the junk comes to the surface. Mm -hmm. And as we work together, endeavoring to be a whole person in and of myself, the best thing that I can do for our marriage is to be healthy myself. Mm -hmm. The best thing that you can do for your marriage is not, well, if he would just do this, and if she would just do that, and if they would do this, then we'd be, no. Mm -hmm. What can I Amen. do Amen. to be more Amen. healthy myself? Amen. And Amen. when that happens, that raises the bar and begins to find that, that level of equality. And it doesn't have to ha only happen in the marriage relationship. If you are single this morning, don't think that, well, oh, if I could just find a spouse and they'll take care of everything and they'll do, they'll complete me. Nonsense. Jesus Christ Amen. completes Amen. you. Amen. Find Amen. your identity in Christ and become 100% whole, healthy, mind, body, and spirit. And then watch the ladies come. No, <laughs> <laughs> but there's something about a guy that is confident in themselves. There's something about a woman that has found their identity not in a relationship but in God. There is nothing more beautiful than that. Throw yourself into the relationship of Jesus Christ because it's the only one that will matter at the end of the day. Amen. Amen. All right, we had, we're going to 
Oh, would you like to talk about your $10 example there? Oh, yeah. That's a great one. There, there is balance and there is mutual submission in Scripture. But that does not mean that we're the same. Mm-hmm. There are things that my wife is more inclined and better at than I am. And there are things that I am better at than she is. There is an equality, however, that exists within this. It's like having a scale. And on the one side, you put 10 apples. What, I'm not, what, what we're saying is that she's not 10 apples and I'm not 10 apples. That's, that's equal. But what we're saying is there is equal value yeah. in each of us. It's like putting a $10 bill on one side and $10 worth of apples on the other side. Are they the same? No. They're different. And when I'm hungry, I need an apple. And when I need to pay the bills, I need $10. There is an equality between us, but we are not the same. We are created differently physically, emotionally, mentally, how we think things through. Yep. I'm created to bear children. John is not. <laughs> so we are created differently, uh, but it doesn't mean all females are this way and all males yeah. think this way. It's not to just uh, pigeonhole and say all women should be um, nurturing, all women should be this, all women should be that. Generally, yes. And that's mm-hmm. why generali- generalizations happen because most of the time it's true. Yeah. Most of the time uh, women are more nurturing. Most of the time men are, are more rough and tumble. It doesn't mean it is always 100% that way, um, but we recognize that there are differences. I'm the feminine example of God. He is the male example of of God. The image bearer of God is different in mm-hmm. us. It is not exactly the same, but And because of that important. difference, people will take verses like 1 Peter 3, 7 and use that to bash. Eh, it's not true. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And we like to read that verse, and we're like, oh yes, women are weaker. Well, what it's talking about, the word vessel there is the same word that says that we are just earthen jars of clay that are carrying the light of the world. It's just a container. What it's saying is that generally, and there are massive generalizations here, generally women are traditionally weaker. Physically, not mentally, not spiritually. And of course this is a generalization. There are women at the Olympics that could just throw me over their head and throw me out of the ring. And there are guys that are super, super weak that can't open their own pickle jar. So what it's saying is there's a generalization that, we're, that, that there is a difference in it. But if you read the verses that are around this, you recognize that this is not bashing women as the weaker vessel. What it's saying is that they've got a weaker jar of clay that they contain themselves in. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor showing respect, showing love, treating with the same way that you would treat your, your grandmother's china. Your daily plates you might just throw in the dishwasher, but your grandma's china you're going to take and you're going to give it special care. You're going to treat it with honor and respect. Why? Because they are heirs with you of the grace of life. You have to understand the, the, the importance of this here. In, in, in biblical community, this idea of being an heir was so important. And the heir of a household was usually only the oldest male. 
And so if a, if a father and a mother, they died, all of the earthly possessions that belonged to the father went only to the eldest son. And then they would, diver, they would divvy out at lesser portions to those that were underneath them. And so what God is saying here through Peter is that they are heirs with you. Husbands, your wives ought to be shown the same honor because they are heirs with you. They have the same inheritance that you do. That inheritance is the relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the eternal kingdom. It's the eternal glory that we have because of our relationship with God. It's that level of equality that God has birthed into Scripture. Husbands, treat your wives with honor and respect because they are heirs with you. It's an equality. Time is running away from us, but um, one more point before we, before we close here. Can we just fix that clock and just yeah. slow it down a little so bit? So before we close here, I've heard many women say that the husband is the priest of the home. Nowhere in the Bible Doesn't does say it, it say that the husband is the priest of the home. My priest is Jesus Christ. Right. I go straight to the Father. I don't have someone that goes there on my behalf. I go right there to the Father. And so is true in the lives of every single woman and every single man. And that's so such a huge thing because what happens and what I've seen my sisters go through mm -hmm. is that they'll say, well, the decision's up to my husband, so I'm just going to sit back and watch him burn. I'm going to just sit back and watch it just go all to poop because it's not my job, it's his. And what we've done is we've stepped back from being image bearers of God and we stopped praying things through and we stopped going to God for answers ourselves. And when I have an answer from God and I bring it to John, most likely God spoke the same thing to him and we can go in agreement of what God has called both of us to do. But if I shrink back, if I don't come up as an equal partner in this relationship, I leave it all to him when my husband doesn't lead us in devotion. Friends, sisters, do you have access to this book, Lead Your Family in Devotions? We shrink back too often, and it has hurt the church of Christ. It has hurt our children. It has hurt our marriages. It has hurt our relationships. Girls, women, go to God. I respect my husband. Anybody will tell you if you watch our lives, I respect him, and I respect him, and I respect him. But I go to God, and so should you. Mm -hmm. And if we have a disagreement, we bring it to God. Mm -hmm. In the same way that you don't need a pastor. You don't need me to have access to God. You don't need me to pray for you. You can go to God directly. This whole idea that the husband is the priest of the household, it literally is not in Scripture anywhere. The closest thing that you can find is that verse that we read in Ephesians chapter 5, that the, the husband is the head, of the head of the wife. And that's preceded by verse 21 that says, submit yourselves one to another. Mm -hmm. That's how that, that whole chapter starts. And that's why it said, look at 21. 21 says, submit yourselves one to another. For example, wives submit to your husbands. For example, husbands love your wives. Submit one to another, but we have taken this way too far the other way, and it's caused yeah. one person to either shrink back or try to elevate ourselves above, and what God is calling us to is a mutual submission to God and to one another. The Assemblies of God has a couple positions on this that are super important that um, John's going to read. Yeah, I just love the way that it's worded. John's going to read one. Before we get to that, the, the AG position on women in, as it relates to ministry is that women can hold Every level of leadership within our fellowship. And in this last 
um, election, we elected Donna Barrett as our secretary general. So she is the one that signs every credentialing card for mm -hmm. our fellowship. And so we have now taken that from policy and worked it out. I serve on as an auditor for the New York State Presbytery. I am one of the only women in that room. So we're changing things to look more like what the Bible intended when, when, when Jesus said that we are equal. So things are beginning to shift. Things are beginning to change to look more like a biblical model. The Assemblies of God looks has created a department called the Network of Women Ministers, and we're working on uh, creating more of a practice of what we believe in policy. And we believe that John and I are trying to live that out in how we pastor and how we live as a married couple and as individuals. The AG also has a position paper on gender. Yeah. And John's going to read a little bit of that. And this is just so important with the culture and the day that we live in, in today where there is apparently some confusion. The Bible is not confused. Amen. God is not confused Amen. in this, and neither are we. The Assemblies of God believes that God created humankind in his image, male and female, sexually different but with equal personal dignity. The fellowship supports the dignity of individual persons affirming their biological sex and discouraging any and all attempts to physically change, alter, or disagree with their predominant biological sex. That's what we believe. And to have a healthy body, it starts with that mindset that starts with this understanding that you are fearfully and wonderfully made at conception, knit together in your, in your mother's womb, that God has a plan for your life and he did not make a mistake when he created you the way that you are. In the same way that we wouldn't rail against the idea, well, I wish God had made me African American or I wish that God had made me rich or I wish God had made me poor. I wish God had made me anything else. There is no way that we would believe that understanding. So why do we do that with gender? It's time for us to have a biblical stance of this, and as the church embraces a healthy equality within this, this whole understanding of gender dysphoria begins to melt away in the sight of Scripture that teaches men and women all loved, heirs and co-heirs of Christ, mutually submitting to one another and finding that level of equality and inclusion that the Word of God would share. So our response to this, and here's where we're closing. This should cause us to respect each other, as men and women, brothers and sisters in mm -hmm. the church and in our homes. We are all image bearers of God. That's right. God didn't make a mistake when he made you. The response to this would be that some of us might need to wrestle with this. Some of us might need to go to God and repent of wishing that we were a different gender. Some of us may need to go and apologize to someone who we have treated unequally and just say, hey, I really didn't realize what I was doing and I'm sorry. Some of us may need to go to our husbands and say, I want to work at being more respectful to you as an image bearer of God. Some of us may need to go to our wives and say, I'm sorry, I need to be more respectful of you as an image bearer of God. And some of us need to find a place of repentance and ask God to forgive us for not loving who he made us to be. And to find a place that says, yeah, God, you formed me on purpose and with a purpose. And I'm going to begin to change this idea of hating myself. Hmm. God, you made me. You put me in this generation, in this country, in this church. So I am not looking to change anybody else. I'm looking, God, how can I change to be more of a reflection of you? Hmm. Would you bow your heads with us this morning?
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, that while we were yet in our mother's womb, Lord, even before that, Lord, from the dawning of creation, you knew us. You know our end from our beginning. You know our beginning from our end. God, you know every day that we will live. You know every decision that we will make. God, we thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God, I thank you that you didn't make a mistake when you created me as I am. God, I thank you for not making a mistake when you created my wife as she is. God, I pray that you would help us to honor you, to love you, not to question you, not to doubt you. But that, God, we would look to you as the author and the perfecter of our faith. Father, for each one here this morning, God, I pray, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would help us to respond in a way that you find appropriate. God, that you would lead our thoughts as it relates to this matter. God, that you would change our understanding, that you would change our hearts. Lord, not just our thinking. But God, our actions would change. Our lives would change. How we relate to people would change. Father, we thank you for men. We thank you for how you created men. God, God, we thank you for women. We thank you for how you created women. God, we ask that you would forgive us, Lord, of our own biases and our own equalities that we have... Lord, so blindly stood on your word and declared were your ways. God, forgive us. God, I pray that you would help us to esteem women as loved children of God, heirs and co-heirs with Christ. God, that you would help us to esteem men as heirs and co-heirs with Christ. And that God, each of us, would have the same mindset that was in Christ Jesus. Father, that we would look to you, the author and the perfecter of our lives. Father, we thank you for this time together. God, I pray that as we leave this place, that your Holy Spirit would go with us. Lord, that you would continue to challenge us. And that, God, we wouldn't just be hearers of the word. But, God, we would be doers. Change the way that we act in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. amen and amen.